Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Jacob, joined as always by Greg. Hello! And today we're going to be talking about the downfalls of our favorite genre of games, which is co-op. Yeah, this is definitely going to be a a sort of a kill your idols moment. You know, regular listeners will know that we love co-op, but uh, no game is perfect. Not even that entire genre. So we're going to we're going to tackle some of the issues that crop up in games like that pretty frequently. But first, what have we been playing? What have you been playing, uh, Mm -hmm. Mr. Vacation? Welcome back. While on vacation, I did bring a few games because, of course, I brought a few games. It's you. Uh, But we only actually played one Um, and we played Sherlock. So Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. I feel like you've described this to me before. I'm sure that I have because I think no, we didn't we didn't play it on the way to West Virginia, but at one point when we were going to uh, one of our board game getaways, mm-hmm. we actually played it in the car. Gotcha. Because it's one of those games that you can actually do that with uh, because all it is 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 a lot of reading and like a lot of discussing and you're trying to figure out the different solutions to to the cases pretty much right as Um, one would expect from a sherlock holmes game exactly so you're pretty much given a book that has like all the information for this case and then you have like you know the beginning part where you talk to sherlock and he tells you that this 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 and this happened all right now what um now you get to start following leads so the way that this works is actually pretty cool you have a lot of different ways of finding your leads so you have the basics of just like, you know, all right, uh, this crime happened here. So you can go to the crime scene, but you have to like find where it is using the map or using the directory. Okay. So you have a book that says that's the directory. So if, you know, the crime happened at, you know, this workshop or whatever, uh, you can find that in directory and then go to that uh, numbered passage that will give you the, the information about that like what happens in that spot so when you choose which spot you go to you then read that passage and you pretty much go until you think that you've solved the case Hmm. and then once you think you've solved the case you compare notes with sherlock see what kinds of things you were able to find what kinds of things you missed and that kind of stuff and then get a score for how close you were to sherlock Hmm. okay that sounds really cool i'm also reminded very much of like time stories yeah it sounds a lot like time stories except without the combat mechanics Mm -hmm. and without this you know specific intermediary of the board yeah exactly and like you know you have a map and everything like that there's like a fold-out map you also have like it's, it's really cool because you have newspapers from that time so you actually have to read through the articles some of them are completely useless now but right. will be useful in further in future cases because mm. you always get all the papers that you have on that date and before so okay. like it could be that you don't have any use for this article now but three cases from now right. it could be very useful are the cases in a specific order or? Yes, there's case one through 10. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so you can do them out of order, but they recommend doing them in order because otherwise you might get some kind of uh, clues or, from yeah. for, for other cases that passed. Hmm. We got through three cases out of the 10. We actually started from the beginning. I'd already played the first four cases, I believe. So um, nothing new for you? Nothing new for me, but I barely remembered a lot of them. Okay. Like, I just remember I had like inklings of like how things happened, and sometimes stronger than others. But at the same time, uh, Sam, my friend who I was with on the road trip, mm-hmm. she hadn't played at all. Oh, okay. 
So it was that kind of thing where it's just like, yeah, it makes sense to start from the beginning rather than jumping into the deep end. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. So we just we actually got through and we we enjoyed them a lot. Uh, I think the first two we liked the most. Third case is actually broken. Um, <laughs> that, that doesn't sound good. Well, it's because it's a typo in the in the publication. Ah. Uh, it's a game that was translated from French. And actually, I think this is one of the games that was a Spiel des Jahres winner way, way back in the day. Like, this is this is a pretty old game. And so that one is still, like, for some reason, just hasn't been fixed in this edition. Pretty much it's unsolvable unless you make some kind of strange leaps and that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, okay, the, sure. Yeah, they're yeah. following things that aren't, like, explicitly mm-hmm. doable. Yeah, exactly. And so... The fourth case got us a little bit frustrated because there were a lot of leaps of logic that were uh, a little bit much. Mm. But in general, it's also interesting because it's like, you know, we, I don't think we ever followed uh, less than like 15 leads or something like that. That's a lot. I mean, you're very thorough. Well, Sherlock followed three or two or four. What? Yeah. What? That. Yeah, and that's the score of 100 points, and then you like you know have to. Oh, uh, try okay. To beat I, I okay. I got it. Yeah. It's figuring it out while following a minimum number of leads. Okay. Yes, exactly. You you, you want to figure it out with as few leads as possible to get the best score. Okay, I thought you were talking about like he didn't discover as many clues as you did. I was like, that oh, no. can't be right. No, he was just able to extrapolate a lot more than we did. Gotcha. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting, though. I mean, it certainly sounds like, you know, very much the deductive reasoning style yeah. that Sherlock Holmes is, of course, known for. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I would be interested in playing that sometime. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and they actually recently came out with, like, the follow-on to it. Hmm. So there's another, I think, 10 cases that came out recently. Very cool. Very cool. We'll have mm-hmm. to check those out. Yeah, so I really, I, it was a lot of fun. It was, it's a great road trip game. It's a great game to just play when you're sitting around and like you could just read stuff and that kind of thing. So it's good. Um, but that's what I've been playing. What about you? You've been around. Yeah, I, I have. You know, most of the games that I play are when I come here and play mm-hmm. with people. So haven't had a chance to play a whole lot. You know, done some Spirit Island. We did a game of palace of mad king ludwig yep very fun i i'm definitely a fan of palace i think it does a really good job of taking the core ideas Mm -hmm. and not necessarily the mechanics but the feel and the the design philosophy behind castles yeah and adapting it for a multiplayer or a you know multiple people building a single structure game because Mm -hmm. as much as the the different shapes and different sizes of room in castles are very cool i don't think that it's a feasible system in a multiplayer game you know multiplayer constructing a single thing yeah game and so you know the solution that they settle on with the square rooms that are all the same size all the same shape but just do different things Mm -hmm. really captures the spirit of the original while keeping it fresh keeping it faster paced and kind of bringing in a couple of new and interesting mechanics mm-hmm. uh, exclusively for Palace. So yeah, always the moats. Yeah, the moats are are very cool uh, mm-hmm. in terms of almost like a, a timer yeah. on gameplay and like a very much a, a pressure to like finish what you need to finish or the moat's going to close and the castle's going to be done. So yep. always, always fun to play. Uh, definitely be on the lookout for a review of that from us pretty soon. Yep. I have also had a chance to play a game called Zipang. Hmm which is a card game for two to four players. I want to say four players. I played it two player, but I think it plays up to four. 
Uh, and it's a card-based game in which you are trying to be the last person with coins. Mm-hmm. Or, or you're trying to have the most coins at the end of the game. The game is over when one person loses all their coins. So in a two-player game, you mm-hmm. want to be the only one with coins left. Yep. But in a multiplayer game, you're just trying to have the most. So you have cards in your hand and you have coins off to the side. And at the beginning of every game, you ante up. Okay. And then one of those coins that people anteed is removed from the pot. Mm. And that's every round. So okay. the game will, like, eventually it will just end because there are no coins left in the pot. Yeah. But before that, you have a chance to play out any given round, which is you have two cards in your hand, you draw a third, and then you play one of your cards. Mm-hmm. And each card has different effects that either, you know, some of them will interact with the pot. You know, they allow you to take money directly from there and put it into your personal stockpile, mm-hmm. force other players to contribute more okay. to the ante, um, generally sort of like money manipulation like that. Or the other really common mechanic is battling. Hmm. So you can play a card that initiates a battle against at least one opponent. Some cards actually initiate battles against multiple. Yeah. And every player has to reveal cards from their hand that match the strength of that fight Mm -hmm. or be knocked out of the round. They don't lose. They're back the next round. But they lose the ability to fight for that particular pot of coins. And this is actually really challenging because unless it's your turn when you have three cards, you only have two cards in your hand. Mm -hmm. And each of them has essentially two different values battle and honor the game is called zipang this is highly east asian inspired uh, japanese in particular and so you have cards that are essentially battle cards Mm -hmm. um you know warriors who are worth relatively low honor but are strong on defense or can initiate battles or you have like the emperor card Mm -hmm. which is worth no battle but has the most honor of any card in the game yeah and the trick with this is that if a round goes to its conclusion, which is that all of the cards in the deck have been drawn through, Mm -hmm. and there is still more than one person in play, you know, that hasn't been knocked out from a battle, the player with the highest honor wins the round. So you have Hmm. to navigate this very careful space of, I want to keep cards with high honor because I want to have a chance to win at the end of the round, but if I short myself on combat throughout the course of the game... Mm -hmm. I run a very real chance of getting knocked out. So very interesting needle to thread. I think it follows some of the same issues with games like Carcassonne, which you used to play Mm -hmm. two player a whole lot. Any of those games where the dynamic is highly different in a two player game. Dungeon of Mandom Mm -hmm. is one that we've mentioned before, you know, in a two player game, it's much quicker and it's also much more of just a, zero-sum game yeah it's a zero-sum game it's there's no opportunity for like well okay don't battle yet like battle next round and there's also just that much more opportunity for you to suddenly win Mm -hmm. i mean just as much opportunity for you to suddenly get knocked out yeah but it's way easier for a single person to sweep the round before it ever gets to the honor stage Mm -hmm. so i would be very interested uh in playing it again with more players uh maybe i'll it's very portable Mm -hmm. maybe i'll bring it here sometime yeah for sure it sounds almost like love letter in a way to me. I could see that. Yeah. It has, it has yeah, a similar, similar kind of thing where it's like you got to balance what you're going to use now for your ability versus what you keep in your hand. Uh, because, like, you know, if you want to keep like the princess uh, or something like that, then people will very easily guess that mm-hmm. or something like that. And um, so it has got a similar type of feel from what you're describing. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. 
That's cool. That's cool. Sounds like a, a fun game to play, and I'd be very interested to see how it plays either two or more players. Yeah. Well, there you go. That is what we've been playing lately. Well, here we go. We knew this day would come. We love co-ops. We love people who love co-ops. But nothing lasts forever. And no game is perfect. Not even co-ops. So here we go. We are going to talk about some of the shortcomings, some of the uh, drawbacks and failings of the co-op genre. Yeah. So first off, let's define a little bit. First off, we're, we're not really talking about the semi-co-ops or the, the ones that have traders, like, majorly anyway. Right. Um, we, we will be talking about some that have a mechanic in there that can be considered that, but it's not really as big a deal as it can be. Yeah. Also, we are going to sort of broadly talk about these in two different categories. Mm-hmm. So, And these are, these are strictly us you know these are all things that we've sort of come up with in our observations that there are two different types of co-op games there are beat the board co-op games so your pandemics your gloom havens any dungeon crawl is going to be this very straightforward you have a scenario you're trying to overcome that scenario the board is going to win unless you do right exactly uh, versus the other type, which we have decided to call puzzlers. Yeah. So these are more like um, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which we talked about at the top. Uh, time stories. Time stories, something like Exit, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Exit series of games. Things where, you know, there's no immediate pressure of, okay, the, you know, this this particular game state or this, this there's no automation that's going to kill you, uh, you know, if you take too long. It's just you're trying to solve a puzzle and the challenge is how long it takes you to do that or how thoroughly you have to go over the information. Yeah, pretty much. And so we'll start off with the just games that are the board-based, the the ones that the board is going to kill you unless you you win. Right. By far the more common, in mm-hmm. at least my observation. Yeah, for sure. They're more common, more uh, the traditional co-op, if you would say. Right. So the first thing that I think is the biggest problem that many, many games run into is quarterbacking. Yeah. And so for those of you who don't know the term, pretty much what that means is that you have one person or even two people at a table dictating what everyone is going to do because they know the optimal strategy. Right. You know, for whatever reason, maybe they've played the game a whole bunch. Maybe they just have that personality type. You know, they're the alpha gamer. They have to call the shots. These people are going to be telling you what to do. They're going to be saying, mm-hmm. okay, this is the optimal path. So you're going to do this and they're going to do that. And I'm going to do this. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And and meanwhile, you're like, do I get a turn? Yeah. It's, I thought this was a cooperative game, you know, and it really detracts from the experience when you feel like you're not playing a game. You're just being played. Yeah. You know, you're a pawn. You're a tool for exactly. this other person you're you're uh, you're playing in a game where one person is playing a solo game with everyone else just watching pretty much exactly so that's you know that's no fun for anyone and unfortunately it does happen not infrequently like yeah. i feel like a lot of co-op games are fairly susceptible to this it's hard to make a co-op game not susceptible to it i think yeah definitely thinking especially if you look at sort of how the genre has developed you know you look at the staples the classics you think about pandemic mm-hmm. that's sort of in my mind that has always been the most iconic the easiest to access yeah. co-op game 
huge problem with that. Oh yeah. Um, you know, one person reads the reads the board and they say, "Okay, great. This is what we should do." And maybe they're not even right. You know, yeah. one of the things about co-op games is that there's always multiple paths mm-hmm. and there's always decision inflection points. But they got it in their teeth that this is the right way to do things and they're not going to rest until everybody does what they say. And yep. yeah, Pandemic and a lot of the early co-op games are just that way because of the way that they're designed because of the mechanics that people have developed to create oppositional boards uh zombicide is another great example of this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah zombicide for for sure has a lot of this it's, it's always just like we know what's coming and there is usually like one solution that is better than others and sometimes you can workshop it but sometimes someone sees is like, wait a minute, if you do this and I do this and you do this and you, you do this, we'll be fine or we'll win this turn. And so that definitely gives a large, large amount of just, you know, quarterbacking. Right. And one of the things that's so difficult when it comes to something like this is that you want to encourage people to make observations and to have those observations out loud you know Mm -hmm. you want to be able to say at the table hey you know i see this path and i think it's a really strong one and it a lot of the problem with this is that it becomes about the players and less about the games yeah you know it's it's about cultivating personalities at the table that aren't going to try to be that dominant force that aren't going to say we should do this and instead are going to say hey I think this is a good idea. Do we want to do this? Like, yeah, that's where a lot of that problem stems from, and it's harder to tackle within a game design. Yeah. That said, I think there are games that pull it off. For sure, and I think one of the major things about the games that pull it off is the imperfect information in a game. Yes, definitely. If a game has you know the information spread out between different players, and you have limited communication and just imperfect information in general. Those kinds of games are very resistant to quarterbacking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're not sharing what is in your hand. So even when you're playing a fully co-op version of Dead of Winter, you're not supposed to talk about what you actually have in your hand because you still have a goal that you want to accomplish. Right. So you can't really have the quarterbacker like being like, oh, you have to do this. You have to do this because they don't know what you have. You might not have it. You might have more than, than you're saying. Right. There's always that kind of pressure there same thing goes with a game like gloomhaven where even if you know the powers of the other people you don't know like you know what their plan is and what they want to do like they they have certain kind of secret objectives and that kind of stuff that aren't fully uh shown and and that they are not allowed to talk about because of the rules of the game yeah and so that really really normally helps with no one being able to say definitively like this is the best course of action Right. It just, it, I feel like it's, it sets a much higher bar for a person to be able to make that statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and granted, maybe the type of person who's going to make that statement doesn't really care whether they have all the information. But yeah. that said, it still happens. Uh, another example of this is a game like Hanabi, mm-hmm. where, again, highly limited communication. And that is a big strategy for tackling mm-hmm. this problem. Uh, one other game that I think does rate a mention on this is Spirit Island. Yeah. Because it doesn't quite do that in the same way you know it's Mm -hmm. not limited communication it's much more like pandemic in that you know there are uh, enemies on the board and you everyone knows more or less what everyone else is capable of but the way that it resists quarterbacking is simply by having 
so much going on. Yeah. You know, every, it's not like Pandemic where every character has the same four basic actions plus one special action that they can do. In Spirit Island, every spirit is completely unique, and it's enough of a challenge just to remember what the hell you can do, mm-hmm. much less what the three other people at the table can do. Exactly. So, definite different path to resistance, but I think one that's just about as successful. Mm-hmm. And Lazio will kill us if we don't mention this as well. Sentinels of the Multiverse has a very similar kind of thing where each hero is so different than any other hero that it's also really hard to like figure out, like you know how to quarterback that especially because everyone has their own deck and they they yeah. draw and you don't know what other people have in their hands right so greater than games doing uh, doing it right everybody else take notes yeah exactly but this is a lot of times it's also really really dependent on who you're playing with mm-hmm. i mean if you have a good group it doesn't matter if a game is is uh very quarterbackable like <laughs> We've played games that are very much like, you know, susceptible to this without having to worry about quarterbacks because of the fact that we are very good in the, the like co-op communication and that kind of stuff and just playing these kinds of games. Right. So that's just another consideration. Another thing that happens in these games is, is there are problems with difficulty calibration. Yeah. And this is something that we touched on a lot with like the whole how hard should a co-op game be? Yes. But sometimes it goes beyond that in terms of like just calibrating to the different number of players that like sometimes a co-op game is just really good with this number of players, but sucks with anything else. Yeah, Robinson falls into that trap. The material requirements for creating a shelter Mm -hmm. uh, scale, in my opinion, way too hard Mm -hmm. uh, with the number of players. You know, you're talking about going from one to three furs. Yeah. You know, that's the difference between one hunt and three hunts yeah like those are very dramatically different and having you know one extra player isn't going to make up for that difference Mm -hmm. so yeah there's definitely games that run into problems with making sure that their difficulty curves out you know consistently with the number of players Mm -hmm. but there's also games that run into problems just calibrating difficulty in general ghost stories Mm -hmm. uh, is a good example of this just punishingly difficult yeah and there's not i mean Maybe I'm just bad, but I feel like there's not really a lot you can do about that. Yeah, exactly. So. Mm-hmm. And then there's Zombicide. Yeah. The, uh, it's all over the place. There's crows. There's not crows. And I, I mean, admittedly, we threw some wrenches and some gears. But, yeah. you know, when you go from being able to beat a moderate scenario with this extra powerful type of enemy to not being able to beat a hard scenario even without that extra type of enemy... Like, I feel like that's a problem, mm-hmm. and it just, it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, and that could be associated with many different types of things. It could be, like, you know, just the enemy calibration, the, like, uh, the flow chart kind of mechanics and that kind of stuff, the treasure mechanics, or just the heroes and what kinds of abilities they have. Yeah. Like, there's just a lot going on in those kinds of games. Yep. Uh, on the other hand, you know, there are some games that are pretty good at, at resisting this type of thing, whether that's a model like, again, Spirit Island mm-hmm. or uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, where you have pretty complete control over, you know, not just how many players you're playing with, but also what is the actual difficulty level of the opponent that you're playing against, or what is, you know, the exact handicap involved in the decks that you're using. Yep. So, you know, you have a lot of uh, control, a lot of granularity in how you set those games up, mm-hmm. which I think goes a long way towards solving that problem. Uh, but then, on the other hand, there's games like Pandemic, which 
I feel like has a fairly consistent difficulty curve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have some control because you can slot in, you know, four or five or six epidemic cards. But also it's just reasonably calibrated, Yeah, I think. You know, mm -hmm. it, it feels difficult. It feels nail-biting. It, it feels like sometimes you're going to lose because sometimes you're going to lose. Yeah. Uh, but you still win on the balance. Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes down to, I think, for me, is the, the satisfaction that a player derives from knowing that there is a reasonable chance of winning. Mm -hmm. And now I think the, the last problem that we'll mention of the beat-the-board kind of games is the complexity that they can run into. And this is a problem with some of the really big games. So you've got your Eldritch Horrors, mm -hmm. which have so many moving pieces and so many things just happening that like players just can't really wrap their heads around it and it's just it's too complex yeah in a so way. much going on and it's the kind of thing where like yeah you can learn to play it and you can learn to be good at it but that's it takes a while you yeah. need to actually dedicate a large amount of time to learning the strategy and like what you want to do and then i get screwed by die rolls and that's how the game works <laughs> Yeah, that's. I mean, that's just how it goes. Yeah. And then you also have games like Robinson Crusoe, especially Voyage of the Beagle. Yeah. Because Robinson itself is complex. It is a complex game, though most of the mechanics, like once you learn them, are easy enough. Yeah. Voyage of the Beagle makes every single scenario different. Throws curveballs at you left and right. And just like immediately changes the entire game, like in scenario three. Like it's just like, oh yeah, you have this island you're exploring. Now you're on a ship. Yeah. Okay. Just cause. Yeah. And so it's just, it makes it a very difficult and it's, it's just too much. It's not something that's really, it's not even fun at that point. <laughs> and we're saying that. Yeah. We're saying that. And Robinson has been consistently one of my favorite games for a while. So. Right. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, there are games that do manage to avoid being overly complicated. You know, they're, they're still games they still have reasonably complex mechanics but they're not overwhelmingly so so a game like uh the forbidden series forbidden island yeah. forbidden desert you mentioned there's one forbidden sky coming out apparently yes. which is mm -hmm. cool um but those i think do a great job of you've got this core mechanic of sort of the intensify mechanic similar to pandemic mm -hmm. and you know movement around a grid and that's that's about it you know yeah. it's all it's fairly easy to grasp it's going to be a challenge. You know, mm -hmm. that's not a problem. It's not that it's too easy. It's just that they don't layer, oh, and rule 15B, subsection F, whatever the hell. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just you move and you try to shore up the island before it sinks. That's mm -hmm. really straightforward. So there, you know, Hanabi is another perfect example of this. Definitely difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, the limited communication aspects that we talked about, definitely compelling and fun. Not brain-burningly difficult. Yeah, exactly. And that brings us to the second type of cooperative game that we want to talk about in this section. The Puzzlers. Yes, the Puzzlers, the Riddlers. Like a Silver um, Age Batman villain. Yep, exactly. So these are the games that really don't have that, that much of a loss condition. You're not really playing against the board. You're just trying to figure out a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And... So these are the exit games where you're just trying to figure out. You have like, you know, the one hour time limit, which does put a little bit of pressure on it. But at the same time, the biggest thing is just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And and most of these uh, games like end with like, you know, you have a certain score. So you're trying to beat a certain score by 
doing it within a certain amount of time, within a certain number of clues, within however. And the biggest problem with these games is one that is very difficult to avoid, and that is just how obtuse they can be. Yeah. So you have like a game, for example, Sherlock Holmes, like I was talking about a little bit earlier, that like the fourth scenario that we played, we had pretty much every single piece of information that we could have gotten. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that we read every passage in the book. That's a lot. Yeah. We went through everything. And still, the only reason that we figured it out was because I remembered some things from when we read the solution when I played it three years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. So it's just like, that's the only reason that we were able to actually figure it out. And when we look at the solution, it's just like, there's so many leaps of logic of just like why this is all happening that it is just too much. It it can be like, you know, yes, I can see why that is the case and why like this would lead to this would lead to this. But it's like, there's no definite path between those. And it can be really difficult to see, like, you know, do I need to wait for, like, the exact, like, you know, confirmation of this? Or, you know, can I just guess? And that kind of, like, surety part where it's just, like, it, it makes it very difficult to, to enjoy these kinds of games. Yeah. Uh, another example, which we actually played out on stream, yeah. uh, is Exit. Uh, the, the Pharaoh's Tomb, mm-hmm. I believe, was the name yep. of the, the version, the expansion. I don't know what they call mm-hmm. them, uh, that we were playing. And the final clue of the game, spoilers, skip mm-hmm. ahead. I'm going to call it like three minutes if you're yeah. worried about that. The final clue of the game involved taking the cardboard insert out of the box mm-hmm. and laying it out flat because mm-hmm. it, it folded of course yeah and using that as sort of a grid as a guideline mm-hmm. against a map in order to determine some information yeah and the only reason the only reason we were able to figure that out is because someone else had told us that every every part like you, you will use every part of the box right that was it that was i mean it's nuanced you know it still took us a while to put two and two together mm-hmm. but very carefully calibrated clue that the game didn't give us that we needed like we would i know us and we would have stuck it out for like another hour mm-hmm. but we would have ultimately given up yeah because that was just incredibly obtuse mm-hmm. and i know many people that did like give up after that because they they were really frustrated with there there are no bounds to the game right or at least the bounds are not defined and that's almost a rules problem yeah. more than it is a yeah. there's elements of um that. an actual like mechanics problem because i think that that's very clever but when the the rules don't define what is part of the puzzle like it's hard to like be like wait do we want to can we use this can we use that i don't know yeah no definitely as with every other issue that we've talked about though there are games that resist it um one of the preeminent examples of this is a new puzzler type game rising five Mm -hmm. with rising five it really is a game that has just that deduction aspect and you're just puzzling things out and you have the app which defines like you know what like the different answers are and that kind of thing and it's much more of the whole like you know deduction aspect it has like you know you can check things you can do other things like that against the board and against the app which help a lot in preventing this from being like a obtuse puzzle Mm -hmm. 
the other big issue with uh, puzzler type games is something that's almost inherent to the format and there's really nothing you can do about it but it does have to become a factor when you're thinking about buying one mm-hmm. uh, and that is replayability yeah you know you mentioned part of the reason that you solved that sherlock holmes puzzle is because you remembered aspects of the answer mm-hmm. you know that exit trick that you know you can say that it wasn't a good aspect of the game but it was a unique one yeah and it's only going to work once yeah um much. you know as the same with a game like time stories you know there are corridors that you're going to go down false leads false starts that you know if you play it again in a relatively short period of time you're going to remember and you're going to have a streamlined experience which i feel like takes away from mm-hmm. the experience and and you know there are people who will disagree with me you know speedrunner type people who want to get absolutely the highest score possible they want to yeah. see how quickly they can get through a thing um and that's that's valid i don't want to mm-hmm. you know sort of discredit that but i think there's something very special about the first time yeah that you play through a puzzler yeah and that is something that can never be replicated for sure which yeah. is some people would call that a feature not a bug um but i i think it's worth talking about yeah it's definitely something that like is it's a unique aspect of these kinds of games that for a lot of people can be an issue. Right. And I think that that's one of those things where if you're fine with that, awesome. But you just have to like remember that like memory is an interesting thing. Like <laughs> I, I hadn't played Sherlock in three years. I still remembered some of the aspects once I got into it where it's just like, oh yeah, there was this part that happened and then this, 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 and this, and that's why this and this happens yeah really funny triggers yeah and so that's that's just one of the things that is pretty much unavoidable with these puzzlers and yet and yet there's at least one that does avoid it which is again rising five yeah because i think rising five is a little bit of a mixture between the uh the board puzzler and like uh just like the versus the board kind of game uh because it does have a little bit of that board aspect and like the action economy and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. But because of the app, right there it is. And this is, I think, one of the things that, like, with these kinds of games, if you have a GM, if you have a app that like just changes and randomizes things, that's what's going to give you the the satisfaction, that replayability, that other way of like learning how the game works and playing it. Yeah, the procedural generation element definitely mm-hmm. uh, definitely contributes to the the replayability and also just the i think the success of that game overall yeah uh, the fact that you never know what's coming you know the fundamentals you know mm-hmm. the parameters you know yeah. we mentioned it's not obtuse uh, but you don't know exactly what you need to do and i mm-hmm. think that's a very clever design uh, that i would love to see more of more app driven co-op puzzle style games yeah i think that they they would work very well i think that there's also uh mansions of madness which i we haven't played mm-hmm. but which uh, is also app driven Gotcha. Yeah, well, and so we'll have to check that out. That is also like, from what I understand, can can also have this kind of a feel. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, that is a look at some of what we think are the shortcomings, the drawbacks, the issues, if you will, uh, with the co-op genre as a whole. Let us know if you thought we overestimated certain things. If you thought maybe we didn't acknowledge certain aspects of things, or uh, just if you have any other thoughts about co-op games in general. Yeah, exactly. We'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks everyone for tuning in to this episode of Dragon's Demise. Hope you enjoyed it. Quick note, uh, like we mentioned last week, our friends Josh and Kyle from Hipline Industries have their game Gamma Grunts up on Kickstarter. We did a uh, What's Fresh Wednesday video on that last week, so head on over to Kickstarter, check that out. It's a fantastic game, well worth checking out. I believe at the time of recording, they're pretty close to fully funded, uh, so doing fantastically there. Check that out. Also, uh, some of the other guys that we talked to at Origins, the guys from Nexus, have their Kickstarter online. So head on over and check that out if you are sort of a gladiatorial brawler game enthusiast. That's something that you will absolutely want to check out. Also, WashingCon just around the corner at this point, September 8th and 9th, coming up on us fast. You won't want to miss this. The event schedule is posted online now. You can head over to WashingCon.com and check that out. Get your tickets, do everything you need to uh, in order to prepare for that spectacular convention happening September 8th and 9th. We hope to see you there. Finally, join us next week when we review Palace of Mad King Ludwig. (laughs) 